today. I want to... Like it's hard. 
<laughs> and as Christians, we know that life is hard. But we know that this life is not the end. Because Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says that one day there is coming a great day where God will wipe away all of our tears. Yes. And that death will be no more. And that the old order of things that we exist in right now will pass away. But while we wait on that great day, we should be steadfast in our faith. While we wait for that great day, we must be steadfast in our faith. And in James chapter 5, verses 13 and 18, we see that a fervent praying life is the fuel that will keep us steadfast in our faith. And fervent means to do something with passion and intensity. And so we as Christians must have a passionate praying life. The letter of James was written by the Apostle James. He was known as James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus. And James, at first, was a skeptic of Jesus. But when Jesus was crucified, and he was buried, and he was raised up again, Jesus appeared to James, and James realized that Jesus is more than just his half-brother. That Jesus is God himself. And so, this letter that James is writing, he wrote it to Jewish Christians who were living outside of Israel, who were scattered throughout different nations. And these Christians were experiencing all of life difficulties. They were experiencing grief. They were experiencing financial (laughs) relational problems. They were going through persecution. They were going through oppression. They were were experiencing temptation. All the difficulties of life. And so James is writing to these Christians who are experiencing the hardship of life. And James didn't say to them, oh, you just need to think positive thoughts. You just need to manifest what you want to see in your life. Instead, James said, you need to have a faith that works. And what James means by this is, we cannot just say we believe the gospel. We must allow the gospel to transform how we live. We can't just say we love God or we know God. We must obey Him. We can't just say we love our neighbors as ourselves. We must, we must demonstrate it through our actions and, and words. Mm-hmm. James said that we must have a faith that works. And he says that when we have a faith that works, that our trials are only going to make us stronger, are only going to make our faith stronger. Because it's going to produce this spiritual supplement called steadfastness. Mm-hmm. Or perseverance or endurance. And Hebrews 12.1 says that the Christian life is a is a race. Yeah, yeah. It's a marathon. Uh-huh. And so we need steadfastness. Yeah. And without steadfastness, we are going to lose patience. Mm-hmm. We're going to lose hope. And we're going to quit. And James said, do not quit. 
he will come back. Yes, he, will. he said that we should remain steadfast in our faith. So in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, James goes on in verse 13 to show us how to live a fervent praying life. And then he goes to verses 14 to 16 to show us how to be a fervent praying church. And then finally he comes to verses 17 to 18 to give us an example in the life of Elijah who did a fervent praying life. So James begins in verse 13 to show us how to live a fervent praying life. He says, If anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James is showing us Christians how to live a fervent praying life. And he starts in verse 13 with the first of three rhetorical questions that he's going to pose in this passage. The first question he posed is, is anyone suffering? Mm -hmm. What James is saying, is anyone going through it? Is anyone going through grief? Is anyone having relational problems? Is anyone having financial problems? Is anyone being oppressed? Is anyone going through persecution? Is anyone going through temptation? He is saying, is anyone suffering? And this is a rhetorical question. So James knows that life is hard. And that since life is hard, there are Christians who are going through it. He said, are you suffering? And then he goes on to say, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. No, James, let him work his problems away. Let him pray. No, James, let him worry his problems away. Let him pray. No, James. Let him eat his problems away. Let him drink his problems away. Let him commit suicide and end his problems away. James says, no. Let him pray. And prayer is the most popular spiritual discipline, but yet it is the most misunderstood and the least practiced. Amen. As Christians, if we're not careful, we can start to see prayer and treat prayer the way that the world does. Sometimes we can we can treat prayer like a kid sharing their Christmas list with their parents. And what I mean by this is that we can make prayer all about ourselves. Telling God what He needs to do for us. Sometimes we can pray selfish prayers. And James chapter 1 verse 7 says that, uh, James chapter 4 verse 3 says that we ask and do not receive because we ask with the wrong motive, wanting to spend it on our passion. And the Bible says that God does not answer selfish prayers. That's right. And the next way that we treat prayer, we treat prayer like someone who is playing the lottery. A person who plays the lottery does not expect to to win the lottery. 
They play the lottery because they hope they get lucky and win the lottery. And sometimes we can pray to God, not expecting Him to answer our prayers, but we pray to God, hope that we get lucky and He answer our prayers. James said in James chapter 1, verse 7, that this person who prays like this is a double minded person. This person is unstable in all this, their ways. They, they, they don't know what they want. They don't trust God. And James said that a faithless prayer is not answered by God. We must, we must, we must trust God when we pray. We must not be double-minded. We must not, we must not treat prayer like a Christmasness, and we must not treat prayer like someone who's playing a lot. We must trust them. Yeah. True prayer is not sharing our Christmas and true prayer is not a lot. Right. True biblical prayer is communicating with the sign of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. True prayer is seeking everything that we need in God mm-hmm. and finding it in Him. Are you here today if you're looking for peace? Seek it in God.
And even though some of some of you uh, see the news and see what is going on in the city and see what is going on nationally, the chaos is louder than than, a, than the storm. But yet the peace of God that is within you yeah. is keeping you calm, cool, and collected. James said, and this is a rhetorical question, so he knows that even though life is hard, there are some Christians who are experiencing the joy of the Lord. There are Christians who are counting in joy, even though the trials are in the world. There are Christians who are experiencing the goodness of God. He says, if this is you, sing praise. Let him praise him. I remember... I was here one Sunday worshiping with you guys, and the worship team came up, and they they did wonderful like they always do, and they were they were worshiping, and it, it felt like that was a test in the room that day. Everybody was singing and dancing and worshiping God, and I was just just clapping my hands, moving side to side. And Pastor T was standing right behind me. And he leaned over to me and with a gracious tone he says, You can dance. <laughs> <laughs> and in this verse, James is saying, Are you cheerful? Are you going uh, through the goodness of God? He's saying, Do not hold that in. You can praise him. Are you experiencing the goodness of God? You can sing his praise because he is good. James chapter 1 verse uh, 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know what you will go through. But I can testify today that God is And since God is good, we must not hold our praise for Him within us. We must shout it out. We must say, You can praise Him. Hallelujah. Because He's good. Say, Are you cheerful? You can praise Him. He he saved some of us out of a dark place. You can praise Him. Yes. He delivers some of us, and he's keeping some of us. You can praise him. He <laughs> said, are you cheerful? You can praise him. <laughs> so James tells us how to live a fervent praying life. To live a fervent praying life means to, to pray and praise God in the bad times or the good times. Mm-hmm. To always be praising God. Mm-hmm. Now James moves to verses 14 to 16 to show us how to be a perfect church. He says, If anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has 
great power as it is working. After James talks about how we can live a fervent praying life, now he moves to verses 14 to 16 to talk about how we can be a fervent praying church. Mm -hmm. And he starts with the elders in the church in verse 14. But James first ends with the third rhetorical question. He says, anyone sick? And that word sick, when it's used in the New Testament, refers to someone who is without strength. Anyone who is without strength, someone who is weak. But here it's referring to someone who is physically sick. Someone who is weak and is possibly dying. He says, anyone sick? In verse 13, James started by saying, is anyone suffering? And then he goes on to ask, is anyone cheerful? And now in this verse, he is asking, is anyone sick? Life is like a yo-yo in an elementary kid's hand. There's a lot of ups and downs. Well, well. Yes. It, it throws a lot of curveballs at us. Yes. One day we're suffering. And another day we're rejoicing. Right. And another day we're sick right. and tired. It has a lot of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And James said, if, if anyone's sick, let him call the elders of the church. The elders of the church are servant leaders. They are leaders who are living out a faith that works. They are leaders who are living a fervent praying life. Mm -hmm. And these leaders are called to care for God's people. They're called to, to love God's people. In the world that we live in now, when we are weak, when we are poor, when we are sick, we are disregarded in this world. Right. But it's not the same in God's kingdom. Right. In God's kingdom, it is the weak. It is the sick. It is those who are poor that are prized jewels in the eyes of God. Yes. Yes. They are the ones who are exalted and given an eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. And James is saying that the elders, when the sick person comes to the elders, the elders must care for them and treat them the way God does, with dignity and love. He says, if there anyone who are, is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. And he said that the elders must pray for this sick person who comes to them. That the elders must lay his hands on them and pray for this sick person. This reminds me of Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. When the man with leprosy came to Jesus, and the Bible said that uh, Jesus stretched out his hands, touched the man, and healed the man. And if anyone, and, uh, I'm sure we, we read the, the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. You were considered untouchable. And so if anyone touched the person with leprosy, that person 
becomes unclean. Mm-hmm. But here Jesus is not only touching him, Jesus is embracing him and healing him. Yes. And so when the sick person comes to the elders, these elders must, must love this person and embrace this person. The elders do not have the power to heal the sick person, but the elders are called to pray for them, for healing, that God will heal them. And James goes on to say that the elders should anoint this sick person with oil in the name of the Lord. And oil is, it has many different purposes. And in the ancient world, there was many purposes for oil, and it was it, it was used medicinally as a medicine for the sick person. Mm-hmm. But here, I believe that it's being used anointing with oil is being used symbolically to represent the elders of the church consecrating, giving this person over to God. Because the power of healing is not in the elders. Right. The power of healing is not in the oil. The power of healing is only in God. And so the elders of the church are not only praying for this person, this person who is sick and weak and without strength, the elders are giving this person over to God as the only one who has the power to heal. Yeah, yeah. And also James goes on to say that in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That phrase, prayer of faith, is not talking about the quantity of the elders' faith. It is talking about the quality of their prayer. Because what James is saying, James is not saying that if we have enough faith, then God will listen to us and that God will do what we want. He's not saying that. But what James is saying that the fabric of our prayers must that is made before God must be faith. Mm-hmm. And faith is trusting God. It's trusting what God said and what he said that he is going to do and believe in that. And so all of our prayers must be made through faith in God. And he says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What James is saying that are you sick? Are you without strength? That God has the power to save you. That he has the power to raise you up even out of our suffering. God said that he will raise us up and he said that he will save us and we can believe that because he said it. That means, Christians, that we will not remain in our trials forever. Whether God rescue us out of it in this life or the life that will come, he, we will be rescued. He said it, and we can trust him. Yeah. Yeah. James said that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then it continues to say, and if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. God doesn't just want to rescue us out of our suffering. He doesn't just want to rescue us out of our trials. He wants to give us a full makeover. Yes, yes, yes. He wants to also forgive us of our sins. Yes. He wants to release us from any guilt that we may be carrying. Yes. He wants to give us a full makeover. Yes. 
And this is not, Jacob is not saying that just because we're suffering or because we're going to, through punishment, that does not mean that God is punishing us for our sin. Right. There are some sicknesses that are caused because of sin, but what James is saying here that God wants to rescue us from our trials, and he also wants to release us from any guilt by forgiving us of our sin. Wow. God set it on every construction because of sin. Yes. Good word. That you may be that you will that you will be forgiven. Amen. And after James talks about the elders, he continues to talk about how to be a fervent praying church in verse 16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James now moves from the elders and now he's talking about the saints. Right. And he said that saints, we should confess our sins to one another. And we should pray for one another. And what James is saying in this passage is that he is saying that as Christians, as a, as a church, that we must, if we sin against one another, to ask forgiveness. All throughout James, James is teaching Christians how to treat one another with love and dignity. And how to and how to not sin against one another. And sometimes we, we, we do, we do not uh, treat each other with dignity and love. Mm. Sometimes we show partiality. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do sin against one another. But James is saying that if we do that, we must confess our sins to one another. And the offender must forgive those who have offended them. And they must pray together. They must forgive one another as God has forgiven us. And wherever there is forgiveness and confession, God will bring healing in our midst. Mm -hmm. Because the healing power only belongs to God. Yes. Yeah. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And what James means by the phrase prayer of a righteous person has great power is that as Christians, the only way that we are made righteous is because we're in Christ. We're not working towards righteousness, we're working from That's righteousness. Right. And since we are righteous, and the reason why our prayer has power is because God listens to the prayers of righteousness. Yes. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21 says that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous mm -hmm. and his ears are attentive through, yeah. to their prayers. Mm -hmm. So God listens to us. The reason why our prayers are powerful is because God is attentive to his Christians. Yes. That means that every prayer that we take to God, whether in suffering or whether in good times, we can believe that God is hearing it because he said it and it's mm. powerful because he's listening to it. Amen. Amen. James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Mm -hmm. And also as Christians, we should also confess individual sins to one another. 
We should have brothers and sisters in the church who we are accountable to, who can pray for us, who can pray in times when we're dealing with sin. We should not live in secret sin. And when there is confession and forgiveness in the church, the great God has the power to heal or bring healing in the church in any broken relationship. He said the prayer of the righteous has great power as it is working. Life is hard. Yes. But James started by saying that a fervent praying life is praising and praying to God in bad times and good times. Life is hard. But in verses 14 and 16, he's saying that a fervent praying church is a church where forgiveness and confession is taking place. And now, James moved to verse 17 and 18 to give us an example of Elijah who lived a fervent praying life. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So here James is giving us an example, church. He has given us an example of someone who lived a fervent praying life. And all throughout James, James mentioned Old Testament characters. And he mentioned four Old Testament characters by name. Abraham, Rahab the prostitute, uh, Elijah, and Job. And he said that all four of these characters have something in common. They had a faith that works. They trusted God even in challenging times. Even in times where they had to make difficult decisions. They placed their faith in God. They had a faith that works. And here in verses 17 and 18, James is trying to show us that Elijah demonstrated his faith through his fervent prayer to God. And the story that James gives us in these verses, he summarizes it for us. But it is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18. So Elijah, the the prophet, came to King Ahab, the, the new king of Israel. And the Bible said that King Ahab was more evil than any king before him in the eyes of God. And so Elijah came to him one day, and Elijah said that it is not going to rain in this land because King Ahab allowed all of Israel to become idolaters, to worship false gods. And so Elijah told him, it is not going to rain in this land. Mark my word, because I stand for God. Elijah is saying that because of who God is, mm-hmm. and because you're worshiping false gods, 
God had told me that it is not going to rain in this land. And because God said it, I believe it. Mark my word. It is not going to rain because God said so. And so it did not rain for many years. There was drought in the land of Israel. And there was, there was famine in the land of Israel. And then God came to Elijah again. God said, Elijah, I want you to go present yourself to King Ahab. And I want you to let him know that it is about to rain. And that I'm going to make it rain. And so Elijah went to King Ahab again. And they met at Mount Carmel. Mm -hmm. And Elijah told King Ahab, I want you to go relax somewhere. Go eat, go drink. Because the true and living God is about to make it rain. Yes. He is about to be to, to, to bring rain on this land that is filled with drought, that is filled with famine. God is about to make it rain. So Ahab went somewhere to, to relax and to drink and eat. And the Bible said that Elijah cleansed the mountain of Carmel. And when he cleansed the mountain, Elijah got into his praying position. And he started to pray for the first time. He started to pray for rain. And Elijah, after praying for the first time, he had a servant with him. And he told his servant, I want you to go look out towards the sea. And I want you to see, I want you to see if there is any sign of rain. And so the servant came back to Elijah the first time and said, there's no sign of rain. Right. There was nothing. Speech. And so the Bible said that Elijah went back again and started praying. And after the second time, he went back to uh, the servant and said, go look again to see if there was any signs of rain. And so the servant went to go look and he came back. He said, still, there's no signs of rain. And the Bible said this kept on happening until the seventh time. No signs of rain. And Elijah kept on going back to pray. If I was Elijah serving that day, I would have grown tired weary. And I would have went to Elijah and said, Mr. Elijah, you sure God said it's going to rain? You sure he didn't say pain? <laughs> because it's painful being on this mountain, but the Bible says that Elijah went back the seventh time to pray again. And seven in the Bible is the number of completion. And so Elijah was praying fervently for rain. And he sent his servant the seventh time to go look again. And his servant came back and said, I see the cloud. Well, that is like the size of a man's fist. Yeah, amen. And so Elijah went down the mountain to King Ahab, wherever he was relaxing, and said, you better get out of here, because it's about to rain. It's about, and it started to fall. God said it, and so Elijah believed it, and it happened. Elijah faced his Faith was, was steadfast because he remained in fervent prayer. And his faith 
was strong because he remained in fervent prayer. And even though Elijah was like a man like us, because sometimes we can look at our spiritual leaders and say, oh man, I could never, I, I could, I could never do what they do. I could never be who they are. But James is saying that Elijah is just a human being who had a fervent praying life. Yeah. Elijah's prayer was the fuel. His fervent praying life was the fuel that kept him steadfast, even in the face of, even in the face where you have to wait, even in the face when they're seeing that nothing was happening. Yeah. He, he was fervent in his prayer to God. Amen. Amen. And James, old man James, like I like to call him, he didn't just talk about a fervent praying life. James actually lived it. Yeah. There's a historian, a fourth century historian by the name of Eusebius, who said that James the Just, who was known as the half brother of Jesus, he had calluses on his knees. And his knees looked like camel's knees. Because they said that James will frequently go into the temple to pray to God, to pray for others, to pray for his neighborhood, to pray for the church, and to ask forgiveness from God, and to worship God. James lived a fervent praying life. Yes. And as Christians, we serve a Savior, yes. a God who also lived a fervent praying life when he came here on earth. We serve a God who experienced all the difficulties that we go through in life, all the trials in life, but yet he did not sin. And he paid the punishment of sin in this life for us, the punishment that we that we deserve yes. on the cross, and he died in this life. Yes. And he was buried in a, bor a borrowed tomb in this life. Mm -hmm. For the Bible said that he was raised from the dead to a new life. Yes. And one day he will return for us. But, but while we wait as Christians, while we wait, we can go like this car. Let us remain fervent in our prayers. Because prayer, a fervent praying life, is the fuel yes. that will allow us, that will make us to remain steadfast in our faith yes. until Jesus comes back. Lord, I. Thank you so much for your word. God help us to live a fervent friend life. Lord, life is hard, it's difficult. There's a lot of ups and downs. But God help us to remain steadfast in our faith and to not cease from bringing everything to you in prayer. Because you call us friends. God, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.